Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your presence, Lord, that's always with us. Thank you for our topic today that we can uh, meditate on uh, your presence in creation and your work that comes to us through creation. Lord, I thank you that you've made yourself tangible and touchable to us. Pray that we would be able to learn and grow, uh, question, and um, uh, Lord, think a new thought today. Um, and uh, in some way, Lord, this would be preparation for our time of worship as we come uh, to you later to this morning to hear your word, uh, to encounter you through your word, and to encounter you at the table in bread and wine. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, guys. Um, before we dive into our, I'm going to connect the dots a little bit between our topic from last week and our topic this week, um, kind of right at the end. So that's a little teaser to help you pay attention Don't for leave. the whole time. Don't leave, because it's going to get good. But uh, any, any, does anybody have any further reflections from last week? Last week felt like a uh, kind of a significant time for several people, that seemed, seemed to me. Um, and so I don't know, does anybody have any further reflections? Or questions even that came up from last week as we talked about cultural issues and how we're approaching those things at the table. I have a random thought. One yeah. thing I really liked about it is I feel like in my life, um, I spend a lot of my time in a very conservative circle. Yeah. And they all think I'm really liberal. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> but then I have liberal friends and think I'm conservative. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I just like being in this space where it's like yeah. holding that, like those are both having their book there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it, I feel like I'm always forced to one extreme or the other. Yeah. And I, which I don't like because I, right. you know, which our society does in general at this point. Right. Like, but, right. Yeah. We yeah. talked a little bit about that where the tendency is for, uh, have to be the, one or the other. right. Our culture yeah. says, this is the frame. Yeah. Which are you? And then if you're not, mm-hmm. if you're neither one of those, you're a little bit of like a, well, you must be one of them. Yeah. Secretly. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. Uh, N.T. Wright has said that before, that he thinks, you know, a lot of his conservative friends think he's like this raving liberal, and a lot of his liberal friends are like, man, that guy's a fundamentalist. So. Yeah. That's interesting, because, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was uh, earlier regretted not being here, because it was, it, was, it was such a great conversation to listen to, um, with, uh, listening to the audio of, I feel like it's one of the few times I've really heard things uh, discussed and articulated in a, in a way that wasn't polarizing one way or the other. Yes. Like it was, yeah. I mean, just reflecting back to what Becky said. Yeah. That, yeah. Holding that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really encouraging place to be. Good. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Good place. Yeah, go ahead. I felt like it was one of the first times where I was like called into being the peacemaker. Hmm. Like I just like felt like that was the invitation was hmm. to be like Christ the Prince of Peace hmm. and like hold the tensions. Yeah. And in my life especially, like that's just a beautiful call for me. Hmm. Um, it made me especially think I was telling Matt this last week, it made me think of when I was in Israel Palestine. Yeah. And like the Israeli students we were with were like on this one side and yeah. half her and the Palestinians had this hurt, yes. and both were, like, very real, yes. and then there, there were the Christians in Palestine, too, in Israel, that were, like, just holding tension yeah. for people, and, like, creating that space, and they were so important, and that's kind of, like, that yeah. whole framework reminding me of yeah. them, and how, like, they're living yes. that, 
And it was one of the first times where I think in words I felt called to do hmm. a part of that. Yeah. And, and I, really, I really liked that. Yeah, that is beautiful, the way that you articulated that. Uh, and even the way you frame that up, I think, is the way a peacemaker frames that up. That this side has a hurt, and this side has a hurt. They don't have a position only. They don't have opinions. They have hurts, right? That's part of how we hold that tension is we, we see the hurt, and we try to invite them to name it, you know, and let's, and, and let's see it, you know. Because what doubles, what doubles the hurt is when somebody doesn't see the hurt or doesn't acknowledge that it was wrong or that it hurt, yeah? Yeah, that's beautiful, Josie. Great. Anything else? I think I think for me, like the um, it was really helpful to think in terms of like the non-binary um, way of thinking. I think yeah. just realizing that like you know everything doesn't exist. I guess for me, like often it's like a liberal conservative. Yeah. Uh, right. Like binary, right? Yep. But there's more dimensions, so that was helpful. Um, cool. I think to like I'm. I feel like a lot of how this happened, like a lot of this is only makes sense if it's practical, not the theoretical. Yes. That, like, Good. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it's it was useful to think about from like a like a theoretical perspective, but like I think the real beef is like how we actually do it practically. Because yes. there are like times when like you know we have to hold attention and mm-hmm. and maybe we always have to do that. But there's also times when it's like we have to actually name. Like stand up for things and like how we do that and how we like draw those lines. I think is the thing that I'm like interested to see how. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like we can't always just be like, well, we're not like we don't have we we can't not say something, right? Right. And but we have right. to. But uh, we also can't be like, well, I'm always like, I'm just like I, I take I'm this camp, right? That's not how right. we do it. So yeah. like how how we do that, I think, yes. is like what I. Figure out because that's not something maybe I do well. So, yeah, yeah, totally. I don't think. Yeah, yeah m- most of us don't. You know, which is why we, which is why we devolve into camps. Yeah. It's easier for me to figure out ahead of time what my position is, so that I don't have to bear the tension of not knowing what the outcome of this conversation will be. Right. Right. So that I mean that and this is what we train those of you who are in DNA groups. This is exactly what we train people to do. Right. There's no, like, I don't know, what is God doing? How is God present and at work in this situation? Like, when you enter into the process, you don't know. You don't, you don't have, like, an answer. You're like, well, I, I know it's this, but let's go through this exercise. No, you really don't know until you discern it, you know? And so that, that's our belief on these, these issues as well. It's like, it's not, it's not an issue, primarily. It, it's people, you know? That, and they're all different, and every situation is different. Every context is different, and so we have to enter into those conversations to actually figure out what God is doing and how do we best discern that and respond to it. Yeah, that's really good. It's really good. It's a good bridge into talking about sacraments uh, because sacraments are really all about how is God present and how does he work? How is God present and how does he work? So... um, Maybe just a little bit of reflection um, here at the beginning. Uh, we say around here a lot, God is always present and at work. You guys ever heard that? Okay, talk about that in our DNA groups, but it's, you know, it gets, uh, Deb's gonna preach uh, basically on like how God is present. It's okay to be real with God, you know, that kind of thing. He's gonna preach today. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, yes, spoiler alert. 
Um, so uh, maybe that's just a way, like how, how do you know if God is present and at work? Like he's always present and at work, but, but then that demands this secondary action, right, that we discern how is he present? So how do we respond and how do we engage? How do we participate? So how do we know if he's present and at work? Does that make sense? Like how, <clears throat> let's think about it this way. Maybe, maybe you can think about it personally. Like how do I recognize, you know, that God's presence uh, is here, that God is at work in this way? Um, or just like how has the church said God is present and at work? Like how have we recognized it in the past? Does that make sense? How would you know if God was working and what he was doing? A lot of times I feel like um, when, we, when we talk about God is always present at work, it's easy to go, well, I don't feel like God is present at work in my life right now. Yeah. Right. It's easy to see how people could, how that's the typical maybe response. Right. So I can say God is present at work and you're like, well, he just sure doesn't seem to be. Yeah. Right. Which, which, expand on that a little bit. Like, what would be happening in my life that would indicate to me that God isn't present and God's not working? Yeah, like, uh, maybe my, uh, maybe I'm just, I don't have a good relationship with my wife right now, or maybe my right. parent just passed away, or something, right. you know, or I just lost my job, and I can't seem to find, you know, just like, right. so, stuff. Yeah, so bad things are happening in my life. Right. So one way that we, like, and this is, this is, we don't think this, right? We would never write this as an answer on a test. But the way that we respond to our circumstances indicates to us that one of the things that I see in my life, th this is how I know God's present, is my problems get solved, uh, I'm happy, I feel fulfilled, things are going my way, right? We kind of think that. And that's evident by the fact that when they're not going our way, we immediately question whether God's doing anything, you know? On the flip side of that, I think, I mean, I have friends who are like atheists, so it's like, uh -huh. well, you're saying, like, you feel like God's or whatever, but I mean, you just had a good interview with a good person. You know, like, right. you know, the qualifications, like, it's about you, like, that's yes. accomplished something on the flip of the positive side. Yeah. Like, oh, there's not really proof that God did That's not, yeah, right. You just made it happen. Right. So there's a counter-argument from the, like, if I, if I come to the situation not believing that God is present, that he even exists, there's easy ways to explain all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what else comes to mind as you think about how, how do you know if God's present? Sometimes God visibly does something that causes you to believe that he's present in your life and he has something planned for you. I'll give you one example. When I was, I used to spend a lot of time in Oak City when I was a FAA test pilot. Uh -huh. And I had the family there before Christmas and they went downtown to look at the, uh, the, the big like common grounds. Uh -huh. And at night they had it lit up at Christmas. And they said, well, let's go look at that at night. And yeah. it was raining that night. Uh -huh. And so you have to drive kind of clockwise around this big common area. And so all the streets come in perpendicular to it. Yeah. And we're all looking at the Christmas lights. And I'm not paying attention to where I'm going. And all of a sudden my wife screams. Yeah. And I had driven through a red light. Oh, wow. Because I wasn't looking where I was going. Yeah. And this bus... It was about 25 feet in front of me. Yeah. And I'm doing about 40. Okay? Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, the car is lifted off the ground. We float by the bus, and we're put on the other side of the ground. Being a test pilot, and I'm airborne there, I, I, I put an input to the control of this car. I don't know how we get up here. Okay? And then we went to the, uh, 
to the bottom of the, uh, on the other side of the bus. Wow. And I just remember the people's looks on their face as we went by. And so afterwards, I went to the, uh, the family priest to say, you know, talk about what we had just experienced. And he said, it happens all the time, Rich. Hmm. And people just don't ever talk about it. He said, when he was, uh, he used to vacation in Maine. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have air conditioning up there because they just didn't need it. Yeah. And they're out playing uh, croquet in the front yard. Mm-hmm. And this two-year-old is on the second floor with an open window. Mm-hmm. And this child falls out of the window. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's nothing they can do. They're just looking at this child. And this child's plummeting to the ground head first. And just before he gets to the ground, the child's rotated and lands on its feet and mm-hmm. walks away. Mm-hmm. That man is Bishop Lawrence. He's now the head of the Diocese of South Carolina. Yeah. And he said, sometimes people, God has plans for people and he protects them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was somebody on the bus that he wanted to protect, or my daughters, or my wife, or me, but there was somebody that he felt he needed to have his angels protect that night. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes he does things in a way that you just, right. it, it does happen. There are miracles right. that you can see. So. Yeah, yeah, good. That, that's an amazing story. Um, two amazing stories. Um, and that, that is. Uh, yeah. It also stirs up a lot of yes. uh, really angry shit in me. <laughs> yeah. Because, Good. Why? Because there are a lot of kids that fall out of windows that die. Yeah. There are a lot of, and, and yeah. I, I, I can't count on two hands how many times I've wrecked a vehicle. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and I had to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and even, <laughs> you hear this all the time. Yeah, exactly. And you hear this all the time. Like God had a plan for maybe somebody. Yeah. And then that makes me think. So God doesn't have a plan for for those kids that that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God doesn't have a plan for. Yeah. So that's the. Yes. That's the counter argument that. Um, I don't. Yeah. And, and I and I and I wonder maybe maybe the way God works and, and the way God's power works is. Yeah. Is different. Yes. Then we, then we typically tend to yes. talk about it. But yeah. there's another aspect to that too. It's it's so rudimentary to the faith sometimes, and that is that this that the earth we lived on is not God's kingdom. It belongs to Satan. And when Christ went on his little journey, and Satan took him up to a rock and says, "I can give you this. This is all yours if you want it." And you know, his response was. It's mine, actually, but I'm just letting you borrow it, okay? It, this, we sometimes get glimpses of, of the kingdom here. So most of the evil that happens, when these children fall out of a window or a person, God doesn't say, hey, I think it'd be building character for you to get cancer. He doesn't do that to his children. That disease, that evil, that always comes from Satan. And God doesn't intervene on all cases because if he were to do that, he would eliminate it all. And then what would you have? You would have his kingdom. Yeah. And that's not where we're at. But every once in a while, there's something that has to be preserved for whatever reason, and he, he interferes. And it doesn't mean that you're better or he's, uh, whoever's on that bus is better. It just meant that it's the nature of the world we live in. This is Satan's world, and there's evil and shit. Excuse my brain. <laughs> That's right. It's already been used once in the yeah. next <laughs> 20 minutes of class. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so uh, there's lots of ways of talking about this, um, and we, you know, we've got explanations and counter explanations. I think it's it's worthwhile though 
to just just pause and reflect that that a story of God doing something amazing can stir up pain and hurt and anger, right? Because we have these questions about how is God present and what is he doing, especially when we go through something very, very difficult. And he doesn't seem to intervene. And part of, what, part of what I want you to listen for as we talk about this is um, I actually don't think it's very helpful for us to use the language of intervention and intervening when God does something like that, or something amazing happens. I, I don't like to use that word, and we'll, we'll talk about why here in a second, because I think the sacraments are meant to wake us up to the fact that we live in an enchanted world, if I can put it that way. We live in an enchanted world. There's, there's uh, various poets have tried to capture this. Um, uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins said that creation is charged with the grandeur of God. It's charged with it. It's an interesting phrase, right? It's like it's filled with God's glory. Creation is. Creation is. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said that earth, earth's crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush is a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Uh, and then a song that we sing quite often uh, in our church uh, by a songwriter named Aaron Keyes uh, has a line in it that says, Open up our eyes to see you in the ordinary. We don't want to miss you anymore. Open every eye to see that every day everything is burning with the glory of the Lord. Everything is burning with the glory of the Lord. Um, so before we talk like about the sacraments and kind of what we believe is going on there, I want to I want to I want to draw something for you, and then I want to just maybe maybe we can brainstorm a little bit about like what are the implications of this? Okay. So this I think. So I want to talk. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to use to not use this word, but I can't figure out a way not to use it. So I'm going to use the word. The word is ontology. Uh, ontology is just. To talk about what's real or being, okay? Being. It's the study of what does it mean to exist, to be? What is the nature of reality? Metaphysics is another way of talking about this. So what is the nature of reality? Specifically, how does our tangible reality interact with invisible reality, if there is such a thing, right? And I think that the ontology that we have inherited, the way that we, everybody has, you all have an ontology, may not realize that you've never thought about it or talked about it, but you have an ontology. You have an assumption about the way reality is and works. Yeah? And I think most of us have inherited an ontology that looks something like, uh, I'll draw it over here, something that looks like this. God is here. Creation is here. God is separate from creation. He's transcendent is another way of talking about this. And, you know, we believe in transcendence. But uh, if all we've got is transcendence, then God is here, creation is here. God's separate from creation. And when a miracle happens, that's like God intervening, doing something he doesn't normally do. You know, he's just intervening. Uh, so that's, a, that's, that's um, I think, an unhelpful, unbiblical and uh, the way that most of us actually, most of, we live most of our lives assuming this is true. I would argue this. Yeah. Most of us assume this is true. My world is just my world. This is just my life. But God meets with me in various sort of places, sometimes, if I can maybe drum up the right emotions, if I can pray really good, 
if the song is, you know, if we sing the chorus a third time, you know, like, what, like whatever, whatever it is that we think, right? There's, there's these, like, ways that we're trying to engineer some sense of God's presence because we have a sense that he's not here, right? We have to summon him. Yeah. Play the right card. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, play the right card. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys can probably guess where this is going, but a sacramental ontology, I'm going to write that up here. A sacramental ontology looks at reality like this. That God and creation aren't the same thing. It's not what we're saying. God is different from his creation. He's the creator. We are the created. Um, but right here, this, there's an overlap. And that there is a, that creation is charged with the grandeur of God. Right? So right here is where we have sacramental ontology. So let's say sacraments. I'm going to also put this word real presence. And so what the sacraments, the way that we look at sacraments, what we're saying is this ontology. That God is present in creation. He's not separate from it. He's present in it. And he works through creation. He doesn't work in opposition to it. He's present in and works through. Does that make sense? That's basically what I want to say. The rest of the time can be discussion. Um, so he's present in creation and he works through creation. Um, and so, for my notes here, uh, one helpful way of, of talking about this is... Um, the difference between uh, what we call a symbol uh, and what we would call a sacrament, okay? So a symbol is if I'm driving down the road and I see a sign that has a picture of a silhouette of a deer on it, what does that indicate? There's deer, there's deer in this area. There might be a deer crossing the road. So it indicates to me as a driver, oh, maybe I should slow down. Maybe I should keep my eye, maybe I should stay alert because there are deer in this area. It's a reminder, right? It's an indication. It's a symbol of some other reality. So the reality is what? There's deer in the woods, right? The symbol is a picture of that reality. It's a reminder of that reality. But this, like, if I accidentally swerve and hit the sign, have I killed a deer? <laughs> right. No, not unless I actually hit a deer, right? But the sign, the sign that I have there, and that, this is confusing because theologically sign is actually what we call a sacrament, but uh, the sign that says deer, that's a symbol of the deer, does not participate in the reality of the deer, right? If I hit the sign, I haven't heard a deer, right? A sacrament is not that, basically. Unless the deer was watching and took it personally. Right, right, yeah. Right, right. they're like, why does that guy hate deer? <laughs> why doesn't he like deer? <clears throat> well, even, even then, right, if the deer, if the deer was watching, uh, why would you take it personally? You know what I mean? It's just a sign for deer, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway. It's just a kairos for that deer. That's just a kairos. <laughs> that deer needs to process that. <laughs> why, do, you know, why do you take everything so personally? Um, but a sacrament is different than that, right? So the, the sign for a deer is a symbol of a reality that, that's not connected in any way. They're two different things. A sacrament is this. It's connected. It's connected in a, in a special way. It would be as if we created a sign that was, that was a sacrament of deer, right? 
which if we hit the sign or grazed it even a little bit, a deer somewhere would feel hurt. It'd be like, ouch. Put a deer on a sign. Right. Right, right. Yeah, well, well, it wouldn't even be that. That would just be the reality, right? But a sacrament, if we had a sacrament of a deer, it would be a, it would be a, uh, a symbol of a deer that actually participates in the reality of the deer. I was trying to think of like, it's hard for us to think of examples of this, but in a very, in a very negative way, in a, like an anti-incarnational way, uh, a horcrux is kind of like a sacrament. You guys know what a horcrux is? Were you? Were you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Is that like a whore? No, 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 no. No, that's that's a different thing. No. So. For those that don't know, I need to explain the whole plot. I, I need to, I know. I say, you start from the beginning. Right, yeah. <laughs> so the next, the next three weeks are going to be the incarnational theology of Harry Potter. No, uh, very briefly, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but if you haven't read the Harry Potter books by now, or like, them. or watch it's them, on come you. on. Yeah, it's on you. Yeah, I can't, there's no... This isn't, you can't blame me for this. So a, hor, a horcrux, basically the villain, in the, the villain in the story, this is why it's like anti-incarnational. The villain in the story uh, is trying to live forever. And the way that he does it is uh, every time he kills someone, this is why it's you know, not a great example, but every time he kills someone, his soul splinters. And he is able to store a piece of his soul in an object. That's like what a horcrux is. And so to, to actually destroy Voldemort, the, the good guys in the story have to find the horcruxes, which are pieces of his soul, and actually destroy the, the object. If you destroy the object, that piece of his soul dies. Does that make sense? So it's a, like, again, there's, I thought about the theology of it, I'm like, it's not a great, right? Like, it's not like the bread and wine, right? That gives life. This is sub taking life, and it's different. But it's the, it's the same idea. That, that somebody's life, co, the, theologi the theological term is co-inheres with an object, with something created. Okay? So that's sacramental ontology. It means that all of life is sacramental. It means, like, this isn't just bread and wine on Sundays. It is that. We'll talk about that. But it's all, it also means that all of life is sacramental. That we're meant to experience the, the grandeur of God in all things, at all times. We're meant to walk in creation. We're not, we're not getting transported into some non-physical realm. We're meant to walk in creation with God, right? That's a sacramental uh, ontology. So uh, a couple examples of this. Uh, uh, the apostle, the, the apostle the, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, sorry, um, gets knocked off his horse on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, right? Throw them in prison, maybe kill a couple, just as an example. And Jesus knocks him off his horse, has a vision, he sees Jesus, and, and what does Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Right? Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, hey, why are you hurting my people? That's interesting, isn't it? So what that, that's sacramental. The church is the body of Christ, not just in a metaphorical way, not just in a symbolic way, in a sacramental way. The church is the sacrament of Christ. Christ is present on the earth through the church. And so if you hurt a Christian, you're hurting Christ. 
Christ feels it. Sorry? Whatever you do to the least of these. Exactly. St. John Chrysostom said, if you can't meet God in the poor, you'll never meet him in the chalice. Right? So these things are meant to go together. Whatever you do the least of these, you do to me. So Christ feels it. When we go through pain, Christ feels it. When Casey's having a hard day, Christ feels it. <laughs> yes. Okay? Um, so the church, the church, I mean, there's, you know, Acts 17, Paul is preaching to these pagans and trying to help them understand who God is. And he says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Does that make sense? In him, we exist. Uh, Paul says this in Colossians as well. He is before all things. He's talking about Christ. Uh, And in him, all things hold together. So we subsist in Christ. God is present in creation. God works through creation, not in opposition to it. Okay? So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff here we could talk about, right? The incarnation is right here. So Jesus Christ sort of assured that this will be reality forever. Jesus Christ is currently a human being in God's space in heaven. He's holding together heaven and earth and will for all time, for all eternity. This is our destination. This is our destiny as the people of God. Okay? So that's sacramental ontology. Any questions about it as an idea? I don't want to talk about applications. What's the difference between a table and the Eucharist? Maybe we'll get there. Say more about your question. Well, like, um, you know, is there anything special about the Eucharist yeah, the good. as opposed to, good. like, you know, a table, which is also sacramental? Right, yeah, we're having coffee together. Is that a sacrament? You know, we're teaching a class together. Is that a sacrament? Yeah, good. Uh, we will talk about that. Um, the short answer is yes. There is something special about it, um, but it's meant to be connected to all of life. The specialness of the sacrament, you know, the body and blood or baptism, or even there's other, there's five other sort of sacramental acts that the church has recognized that, that give grace. What they're meant to do for us is be, like, be these uh, Ebenezers, these authorized places where we know God is present and at work. That gives us eyes to see and an imagination for how God is present and at work in all of our life. Does that make sense? So how would we, for example, how would we know if I'm sitting around a table, what parts of our conversation our interactions are of God, was God in? And what parts did we close the space off, right? When we were arguing, you know, with one another or not seeing each other, right? So how would we know the sacraments, capital S, sacraments are meant to teach us how we would know and how to open up that space and keep it open for our whole life? That's the short answer. That that might be the whole answer. I don't know. It could be. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. Anything else? Any other thoughts, questions? You could um, share a little story and have you maybe help me unpack it as mm-hmm. far as the sacramental So uh, it's a couple years ago now, and I was um, I had been traveling, I'd been teaching in England for a week, and I had had a wonderful week, and I had to go home, which was a very painful place for me at the time. Um, uh, family issues, family falling apart. And I had a, a mandatory layover in Iceland. Mm. 
Wonderful. So, just, just standing on this beautiful bay and, um, you know, just looking out over the water. And I just pray, I said, Lord, I know you are present. I know you are with me. Mm. I have to go back to this. I just need I just, I just need mm. to know that you're with me. I just need something. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, this peace in yeah. my heart. I mean, that's all I was right. expecting. Or a mm-hmm. word, a reminder of scripture. So I know that's also sacramental. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking of anything else. I'm just standing at this bay, and a whale leapt up out of the water, <laughs> reached the water, and did this lovely, sorry, flip. Went <laughs> 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 back into the water, and I just turned it and went, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I was at a park, and I turned around and said, oh, did you see that? And there was no one else around. Yeah. And I said, Lord, I, okay, that was... That was something special. Yeah. Creation. That was that entering. I I felt. Yes. Just something. God just said, "Yeah, come here." And yeah. this is this is it. Of course, yeah. later in the summer, I said, "I need another whale." <laughs> 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 I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. That's so good. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. And I, and, I, yeah. and that that was yes. this assurance, and I can re- and I can recall the whale at any moment, mm. but it's not the whale. It's the presence of Christ. Yes. The peace of Christ that that, that, that memory brings. Yes. So. Yes. I haven't thought about this, Nancy. I think. No. Uh, so one of the things that. So I'm going I'm to talk about something missing from that and I'm connect it to what you said. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think sacramental ontology helps us do is it helps us um, navigate one of the philosophical blind spots of living in. Uh, platonic, dualistic Western culture. So, you know, platonic dualism, we could teach on that for six years. But essentially, essentially one of the tenets of Platonism, and really Neoplatonism, is that spirit and matter are distinct and not connected. And spirit is the realm of ideals and perfection, and matter is the realm of, of like imperfection and blah, 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 right? So then you have like, you have like Neoplatonistic Christianity called Gnosticism, where the body is sort of like this unfortunate bag of flesh, and we have to escape the body and get into this realm of spirit. So I think sacramental ontology uh, helps us uh, take the incarnation seriously and rebaptize mm. sort of like matter matters basically in, in Christianity. Like yeah. matter really matters. And so I think one of the traditions that doesn't have the neo-platonistic baggage we have is the Eastern Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have other baggage, but they don't have our baggage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, you know, one of the, I think one of the things that they have that touches to sacraments is this uh, understanding of icons, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's pictures that communicate grace and God's presence to us. And as I hear you tell that story, Nancy, I hear like God gave you an icon. Yes. God gave you an icon that communicated His presence and grace to you. And something creative that communicates something uncreative. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and this gets to the definition of a sacrament, which we'll talk about. But it's an in, it's an invisible and inward grace uh, that's given through an outward invisible sign. We can talk more about that. So it's different though than saying, for example, God made a whale jump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah. That's this. Yeah. That's this world here. Where God is different from creation, and he sometimes, when we're really desperate, or we pray really good, he comes in and does something. 
No, God is always present at work. And you had eyes of faith to see a whale leap and pray, and God used it as a sacrament for you to basically say, I'm with you. My grace is here for you. And that has become an Ebenezer for you as well. Meaning like I can... You bought, yeah. You bought whale earrings, right. Right, right. And you, think, and you said, I think about it, and I, and I, I sense it. I sense God's presence. I have a friend who had a similar experience to Nancy, who um, in a really dark time of his life was praying and asked God to communicate his love, and a cardinal landed on his foot. He was sitting in a chair with his legs up, and a cardinal landed on his toe and just looked at him. <laughs> and for this is Mark Hand. And for him, yeah. uh, if you're listening, Mark, I love you. Uh, <laughs> and for him, that was God's I love you. And so every time he sees a cardinal, he just verbally says, I love yeah. you too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right? Yes. I love you too. It's, like it's, this is his this literally yes. this is a vineyard guy. This, is, this sounds pretty vineyard doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and so like, but for me, so that story, I mean, I didn't have a cardinal in my foot. You know what I mean? I'm always um, I'm throwing stones at them to get out of my garden. But when I see them, when I see them, like there's this transitive, yes. there's like yeah. a transitive faith property right. that happens That's to right. me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I look at that card and I think, you're this Ebenezer, you're this icon yeah. of my friend Mark. And I find myself sometimes saying, I love you too. Yeah. 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 It's so true that the thing about icons is the one, the artist who wrote the icon. Right. Wrote for themselves actually made yes. a prayer, yes. and then, but we then benefit from them. So it's that, yeah. Right. So I mean, I don't see very many whales, but you know, I can yeah. I, I can recall that. Yes. Slide. Yeah. And, um, yeah. There's there's so much here, guys. I, I'm like uh, part of Celtic, the Celtic Christian spirituality was this idea of thin places, for example. You guys don't know what a thin place is. It's a place where where this is just more tangible and present. And sometimes it's a place where just it's a church building where they've been praying for a thousand years, right? Okay. There's a mystery to it. Like, I don't know how it works, you know? But that's not really what's important. It's not important to explain it. Like, it's important to, like, participate in it. That's the important thing. And that's what the early church, the early church all believed. They believed in the real presence of Christ in sacraments. And their whole goal was not to explain it, not to write a theology about it, but to do it, to participate in it. They only ended up writing theology when they needed to, basically. When they were like, hey, there's some people who are doing some different stuff, and it doesn't seem right. We should figure out what's, what's the right thing to do here. You know? And then they have councils, and they come up with the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed, and you know, the Doctrine of the Trinity, and all of this stuff, as a way of reflecting on their experience. That's what they're doing. That's Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi as well. Yeah. Good. So it's having eyes to see. It is. Because I could have just said, oh, that was cool. Look at that whale. Or, or right. oh, look, a cardinal landed on my foot. But if you to make the connection, yes. it's the eyes to see. Eyes to see. There's, there has to be some faith, mm-hmm. right, for us to really see. It's not automatic. Mm-hmm. We don't auto, you know, like Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, Earth's crammed with heaven, every bush is on fire, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Yeah. You know? Lots of shepherds walk past that bush yeah. thinking, ah, that's weird, a bush is on fire. Right. And, and the eyes to see thing is different because so the, the one on the left, like that's I think that was my common conception of God up until uh, you know five ten years ago. Yeah. But that has more that has that is more based upon like a god like Zeus than a god like Yahweh, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of the Greek 
philosophical understanding of what God is. God is this thing that exists outside of us, and sometimes he zaps us with lightning bolts and miracles. And sometimes we can uh, appeal to him to zap us yeah. in the right ways and not the wrong <laughs> exactly. ways. You know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the, one on the, the one on the right, though, um, there, there's a deeper mystery to it because it's not just based upon like God's sort of benevolent capriciousness. Then maybe today I'll do it. You know, yeah. this baby I'll save. Right. But the next six I won't. There's something else, like Jesus being in his hometown and not being able to do miracles because people didn't have faith. Right. right? Um, there is this deep, like metaphysical alignment of like, I think, alignment of like the, 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 the particles of existence. They, like, God's not sort of um, uh, this uh, uncontrolling love and then sometimes like, what, come here, you, you get over here. You know what I mean? Like there's this sense in which like, he, he longs to have people submitted and responsive and participating in, in his kingdom. And, there, mm-hmm. and there's these moments of alignment Yes. Where, where that happens. And faith is part of that equation. And faith is but like, there's all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, things we can't see, right. including, you know, Richard, you brought this up, including this incredibly complex spiritual warfare yeah. that's always happening. Yep. That we have very little perception of. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that that's yeah. I mean that that's where that's where this thought can take you, right? Sort of realizing, wow, the particles of creation, like they are under the sway of the evil one in many ways, right? That's why our bodies grow old and get cancer and die. That's why bad things happen, right? And but we can't do. We'd like to be able to just do something about it, and we'd like for God to just do something about it. But that's not how he works. This is how he works. He doesn't work in opposition to creation, even when creation is in opposition to him. He still condescends, he comes into, and he works through creation. This is a, this is a huge thought, right? <laughs> right? Because we're not used to thinking of God as somebody who's, I don't know, I don't know if I can say it this way, but somebody whose hands are tied in some situations. It makes sense. He's chosen to work like this. In, present in, works through. That's sacramental ontology. Would you, would you say that this view of God and creation being separate, I mean, the evangelical worldview is that we are separate from God. Yes. Our sin separates us from Him. Um, and that whole premise Create part creates that yeah. separateness. Yes, um, and so you can understand why. I, I don't know why I used to feel that. Yeah, and the truth is, still feel it. Yes, upon me when I do something every once in a while. Very rarely do I ever sin. Yeah, I think it was you mentioned it in DNA group, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that, that, that separate, God's creation yes. separate. I'm separate from him. Yes. I mean, I throw that out to you. Yeah, you know, that's good. Why we, we all, and yet, I mean, that's a part of what we've been taught. Yeah. I yeah. have thoughts about that. Do you have thoughts about that? I do, too, yeah. Um, that's the trouble having two, uh, two pastors. Twice as many thoughts. Um, no, I, uh, 
Um, so uh, here's a thought I have about it. Maybe you have another one. Maybe you all have something too. Um, we come to Scripture. We come to Scripture with an ontology. We come to Scripture with a way that we think the world works, and we read Scripture in light of it, and we see things in it then that may or may not be there, but we see them based on our ontology. So when we see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin separates us right from Him, because there's scriptures that seem to indicate this, right? What's that? Basically one. Yeah, basically one. <laughs> but within this frame, we read that one scripture, and then we map that idea onto everything that, said, that sin says, right? We map that idea onto it. And so for me, the exciting work of theology is saying, oh, if this is how reality is, well, now let me read the Bible, and let's see what I see. Because I'm going to see different things. I'm going to see new things, right? And so for me, the separateness, I've realized, is not, it's more of a, it's more of a belief I have about where God is than it is an objective reality about where God is, right? It's like you said, you know, I can sin, but I used to have this same frame. I used to, I used to uh, I'd sin, and then I'd think, all right, I got to get my act together. Right? I gotta get back, I gotta convince God that I'm really sorry. Maybe do some penance. You know, nothing wrong with penance when it's actually done in the right way. But but you know what I mean? Like this was my frame. It's like I gotta get right with God. So I gotta do all this stuff. I gotta convince him. I gotta really pray hard and stop sinning, double down on my efforts at not sinning and all that kind of stuff. Um, but within this, like I know I can meet God right where I'm really at. Well, this is where I'm at today, Lord. Will you meet me here? Will you be with me here? <clears throat> I mean, which is the beauty of the sacraments for me as well. Like, I can just meet God in the bread and the wine. I don't have to have a profound thought. I don't have to have a deep feeling. I can just come and eat bread and wine and know that grace is being communicated to me as I come forward to the table. Um... Yeah, definitely. Can I just ask, Matt, is that a similar thought to what you were going to share? Is there anything to add to that? I'm I have lots of thoughts. Us. Yeah. <clears throat> just responding to Sean's comment about this, I think all of us can relate, um, either just from other people's experience or our own experience about this, this experience of sin feeling like it's cutting us off from God. And I, I think that uh, one of the ways to read the scriptures is is one of the ways to sort of uh, summarize the story of scriptures is to say God has been uh, God has been seeking for a place where He can be present to His people since He created them, mm-hmm. and and His entire project um, it, we, we call things like salvation or uh, the kingdom and it's those things, but but the the description of it one of the descriptions of it is. God is just with his people. Yes. God is, God is living with them. Um, you know, and this gets thwarted in the garden, and then it gets sort of prototyped in a tabernacle, and then it gets sort of uh, like set up in the temple, and then, and then it becomes like incarnate in Jesus. And then, uh, you know, in Revelation 21, we see that there's this picture of God's, you know, the dwelling of God's with yeah. people, right? There's this, there's this declaration. 
So I, I think that one of the artifacts of that is, um, you know, one of the ways that we live now under the tyranny of God not being fully present with us is, is the shame that we live with. Yes. And, and the, the why of human shame is that, um, that um, God is not with me. Because there's something deeply wrong with me. I mean, me. we come by it honestly, yes, yeah. right? We, we, we still hide behind trees and cover ourselves with fig leaves. And God still comes looking for us each time. Yeah. Each time. So, so when we quote Habakkuk 1, right. God, your eyes are too holy to look upon equal. Yeah. There's a sense in which God's holiness is a reality, and it's, there is an offense and, a, and a, some kind of affront to his holiness. But the character of God, who's revealed in Scripture and was fully revealed in Jesus Christ, is a God who, even in our worst moments, comes to the beach, tells us where to fish, cooks us breakfast, and says, I still trust you. Yeah. Like, that's the God revealed in Jesus. Mm -hmm. so, so I just want to be clear, yes, really clear, that, that this experience is real, and, and if we live out of that theology, it's a theology rooted in toxic shame, not a theology rooted in the incarnate Christ. Okay. Yes. And those are my thoughts. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Take up an offering. Yeah. We'll take communion. Yeah. <laughs> that will preach. I think it did yeah. preach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good. I approach this from a very different perspective. That is not that how, how separated from God by sin, but that event I relate to you was the beginning of a chain of events. Mm. Not too long after that, my son committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. And that brought about a lot of things that took place mm. after that. And when I went to Bishop Lawrence, well, he wasn't a bishop at the time, but I said, uh, my, my, my question was, why does God love us? Not why we're separated from him, but why does God love us? Mm. And he was, uh, I just had a, another child was born, not, to be, not, be, not very far beyond that. Yeah. And he said, Rich, when you first held your, your daughter, did you know her? No. Had you had a lot of discussions with her? about her views on life? No. Did you like her as a person? Mm -hmm. No. I mean, if she was just my daughter, yeah. and I would die for her at that instant if the place was on fire, I'd go in and get her. Yep. And he said, that's the way it is with God. Mm. God loves you. And he says, that's why we begin our Father's Prayer with our Father, mm -hmm. is that He's our Father. Yeah. And once you understood that He loves us, mm -hmm. the sin part we address later, but that, that was just a big, like, a light one. Yes. He, got, he actually loves me. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's not tolerating you. Yeah, yeah. And like, well, Jesus did something about your sin, so I guess. Right. And accepting that made yeah. a very big difference in my life because when something like that happens to your family, crap happens, okay? Mm. You find out God's there to help you, as opposed to my wife at the time, who has never been inside the church since. Yeah. Yeah. And we're no longer married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, God is so real, He most fully meets us where we're really at. And the way that He meets us is through creation, through created things. That's bread and wine on the altar, that's water and baptism, that's a conversation with a friend. That's good news proclaimed, right? 
That's all created stuff, right? You guys are able to listen to me because there are sound waves hitting your ears. This is, in, this is all embodied. It's all embodied. Um, and so, yeah, creation is charged with the grandeur of God. This is why somebody can fall on Elijah's bones and get raised from the dead. Right? Or people can take handkerchiefs from Paul and heal people with them. What's that all about? Well, God works through creation. That's how it works, you know? Um, yeah, there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot we could say. Let me say this. So the sacraments, kind of the capital S, the sacraments of the gospel for the church are holy baptism and holy communion. Okay? There are also like what the Anglican church calls sacramental acts um, that the, in the Roman Catholic world, for example, are called sacraments, but that's like confirmation, absolution, confession and absolution, uh, marriage, uh, anointing of the sick, and there's one more. Uh, holy unction. Holy, holy unction, yeah. So, uh, oh, and holy orders, I think, as well. Is that the same thing? Holy yeah. unction. No. Holy unction is anointing for the sick. Yeah. Ordination, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Uh, but ordination is a sacramental act. And so what we're saying when we say that these are sacraments and not just, in some traditions they're called ordinances, which just means that things Jesus told us to do. Uh, we, we, we believe that they're more than just things Jesus told us to do, that they are means of grace for us. That in participating in the physical act, you know, water being poured over me or being you know, immersed in water, receiving bread and wine, like putting it into my body and digesting it, swallowing it. Like in that physical act, grace, God's grace, is sort of invisibly communicated to us. And so um, I mentioned, you know, a couple weeks ago, that's the reason for me why I, I, don't, I don't like going to Sunday without being able to take communion. I'm starting to do some research on like where we're going to be on vacation in a couple weeks. And I'm thinking like, could, is there a place I could drive? You know, that kind of a thing. Not because I think it's a magic spell, but because if there's grace available to me, I want to participate in it, right? And so I want to take communion. I want to hear a word of good news proclaimed. I want to do that. Um, and so, you know, in, in our tradition, there's two metaphors, I think, that are helpful for me in terms of thinking about what baptism and communion are. Baptism, one metaphor is, baptism is kind of like uh, being born, right? So, and we know this, you know, kids are born into our families, and then they're just part of the family, right? Before they really know what that means, they're part of the family. So that's why we baptize infants, one of the reasons, is because, well, they're born into the covenant, you know? And our faith as parents covers them, and and we, we invite them in, and we, and we, we, uh, we raise them as Christians expect, with the expectation that they will one day confess this faith, profess this faith for themselves. That's confirmation. Um, so we, and actually the way that they look at that is baptism and confirmation are almost like two parts of one sacrament. Okay? Two parts of one sacrament. So baptism is kind of like being born, and then coming to the, the, the Holy Eucharist is kind of like uh, coming to the table and being nourished. It's like a family dinner. It's time to eat. We come to the table, we eat together. That's one image. Uh, the other image um, is that baptism is kind of like getting married. It's the covenant. And then communion is kind of like having sex. You know, it's this act of participation, the koinonia, and, you know, an involvement that strengthens the unity uh, of, of the love, of the covenant. Does that make sense? I that seemed too scandalous to say. Um, <laughs> So, uh, 
Sure. It's part of the Reformation when the Anglican Church was born. Thirty-nine articles. We said that baptism should start when you're a baby. You should be baptized when you're a baby because in the Roman Catholic faith, there were a lot of people that would wait to get baptized That's right. until they were about to die. Yeah. Because that uh, uh, that act absorbed them uh, or absolved them mm-hmm. of, of all their sins. So it's a game you would play. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to die this afternoon at two. So get me a priest, and I know. Yeah. You lived a good life up to then, you know. Yeah. And then the Anglican, they said, no, you need to get baptized and become part of the church when you're a baby. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was some of that in the early church as well because yeah. they had, yeah, they had that view. Um, so just, just to, uh, we've got a, a few more minutes. Um, so those are, the, those are the two sacraments. There's five other sacramental acts. And they're rooted in the incarnation, right, because God is present in creation. Right? So we believe that in this bread and wine, like Christ's presence is communicated to us, which is why we treat it specially, for example. Like some of you guys have heard me tell Deacon or one of the other kids to go bury the crumbs of the bread outside. Go take them outside or pour the wine out outside. There's a special sink in the sacristy here in this church building that doesn't go into the sewers. It, it, you know, it just goes directly out onto the ground. Why do we treat it, se- why do we treat it specially? Well, because it's sacramental. Right? Isn't that interesting? I thought that was interesting. Um, so it's sacramental. We believe that God's presence is communicated to us. There's a lot we could say about that. You know, the prayer of remembrance. We think of remembrance as like, I'm going to think about something that happened before. But actually what that prayer is, is bringing to the present, making present something that happened. So the Jews did this in their, in their Passover meal, right? Where they said, this is the night when we cro- when we cross the Red Sea. We do something similar in communion. Like, this is the sacrifice of Christ. We're not re-sacrificing him, but we're bringing his sacrifice into the present for our behalf, on our behalf. Yeah. So the word remember is actually uh, indicative of what Ben's talking about. So Israel had this, in most uh, ancient cultures, most um, non-scientific cultures have this really uh, prescient sort of connection to the people who've gone before, mm-hmm. right? So you have the Day of the Dead in Mexico, uh, which Coco talks about, and Coco talks about, and you have other ancient cultures that talk about, like some of them worship their ancestors, that's how connected they are. But when we remember, what we're doing is we are, uh, we are remembering ourselves to them. Yeah. So we're remembering. Yes. So that we become members with them, yes. right? So the prayer remembrance is taking our community and connecting us to this thing. Yes. That we're, this, con- this, this community that's in continuity and has yes. Connected in Christ. Connected so we're, Christ. Conne- we're not as individuals connected to Christ. That's important. We're connected as a community to the body of Christ so you throughout history. So you have to, in some senses, you, you, you can't remember individually. Because you're a member, like you're Christ's body, two or three, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a membering. Yep. That's happening. Yes. Yeah, and there's a lot, there's a lot to say about it. The, the proclamation, there's something that happens in proclamation. It makes something real. We believe, for example, preaching is sacramental. So something happens in the verbal proclamation of good news and us hearing it and responding in faith. Something happens that wouldn't happen if Deb preaches today, but instead of preaching, just hands us her notes and says, just read these. 
take 10 minutes and read these, and then we come to the table? Why don't we do that? Right? Well, because preaching is sacramental. Something happens as we listen to Deb. Yeah. Something happens as we listen to Deb that doesn't happen when we read the words or understand the concept. The scripture, the scripture too, is sacramental. That's why we read it out loud, even though I've read this before. I know this already, right? Why do we read out loud? Not for information. It's a sacrament. We're encountering the presence of Christ as we hear scripture read. Does that make sense? Yeah. Your eyes are indicating that you're having a thought. I, well, I, well, I... Are you? Yeah. I would love to hear it. No, I want to, I want to hear your thought. Well, for me, I think what's interesting about that is part of the proclamation, because for me, some of the places, there are two main ways that I personally, like, experience God the most, and one is in creation, but the other is in written word. And so for me, um... I have this thought of like I think that God is like love of the written word inside of me because anytime I get on this journey where I feel like I'm pulling away from him, it has always been through reading somebody else's words that has brought mm-hmm. me back. Yeah. Like in times in my life where I'm not even like I don't even want to read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be reading, you know, C. S. Lewis or like, you know, whoever else. Yes. And that's what has brought me back. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. That was what, that was what was yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah, it doesn't devalue the written word, right? And it doesn't mean that reading can't be a sacramental act, right? Uh, it just means that preaching is different from reading. It's a different act, you know? It's, it's something different. That's really good. Um, okay, so uh, finally, like, uh, I, think, uh, I think why all this matters. So why, why do we believe this and what does this actually do for us, Okay. Um, we talk, Matt talked about this a little bit. The predominant metaphysic or ontology that most people live in is this one here. And some people have erased God from it, right? They're like, he must not exist because it's, it's unreliable. We can't get him to zap us you know, at the right time. So, so uh, what, has, what that's created is an ontology or a way of looking at reality where things are separate from each other and not related to each other. This is, a, this is an ontology, for example, if I can just draw a straight line from this to separating families at the border because we're trying to get something done politically. Right? That's, that is this ontology. Creation doesn't matter. Families don't matter. This love doesn't matter. What ma- all that's left is what you know, Nietzsche talked about, right? Power. All that's left is just people trying to have power over each other. So I think it matters a lot. Pope Francis called this a a throwaway culture. We end up with a throwaway culture where we can throw each other away, we throw our stuff away, because in the end, it doesn't really matter. A sacramental ontology says matter does matter. Relationships matter. The way that we are with one another matters. Right? More than just power. More than just... And that's, that's directly related to a sacramental ontology. And we can say this, this matters inherently because God's in it. We're not separate from each other. We're not different from each other. We're connected to God and to one another. Okay? All right. Any final thoughts or comments, questions, Nancy? It's, it's very interesting that this, the sacramental ontology uh, actually looks a lot more like most of the other religions in the world. Hmm. I'm thinking uh, in Japan, animism. Yep. Uh, in particular, 
yep. you know, the spirit world, it's not God, yep. uh, the creator God, but the spirit world mm -hmm. and creation are all mixed in together, and so you'll see when they build a new road, yeah. but there's a tree known to have a spirit in it. The road goes around the tree. Right. And, uh, right. Uh, rocks or exactly. whatever. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so, if, and even Hinduism and I mean, Buddhism, all of it is, is much more of that. And so, then when historically, sadly, missionaries came in with this, yes. then um, as people became Christians, then they were very confused and it became. Yes. Yeah. We associated this. This isn't the Enlightenment. This is the. the, the the Enlightenment gave us, I mean, it was rooted in Greek, you know, philosophical terms, but what it gave us was a way of seeing the world that we assumed was the gospel, right? And so when we bring the gospel to Japan, you know, we bring this, and it doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense to them. Yeah, yeah. They, um, some people said that it goes back to Augustine, mm -hmm. the separation of God and creation, that creation was only a second form of grace. Hmm. Yeah. And that hmm. you could not, you could do any kind of experience of a whale, that's only secondary form of grace. Right. Yeah. And so that he spoke on that. And that hmm. they believe, I mean, just, you know, could yeah. other things. But work its way within the church in a yeah. separateness. Yes. Where, you know, you even talked about world religions, they have an integration. Yeah. And I think that's part of what. Yeah. Recapturing yes. What God's doing. Yeah. Because the sacraments were used as instruments of power, right? By the church. You know, that could have been part of that move. Saying, like, we actually hold on to this thing that can give you grace or not. You want to go to heaven or hell. And so you have to kind of do what we say because we have the we have the magic, you know, stuff. Or we could sell them. Or we could sell them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's like your grandmother to go to heaven, give me Right. And so the more radical reformers actually then rejected, rejected all of this in the name of like avoiding abuse and idolatry. But what we what we bought into, we're just now figuring out is like, oh, that's <laughs> that hasn't done good work for us either. Right. Right. Um, so bringing it back to even what we talked about last week, part of the reason that we don't want to come up with some pristine position on you know, gender identity and sexual issues and that kind of thing, is because it's too disembodied. And a, a position is too disembodied. The, the sacramental ontology demands that we talk with people. We have conversations. We open up space to discern what God's doing here. Now what God's doing here. What God's doing here. Does that make sense? It's sacramental in a way. It's incarnational. What is God doing now? It's, it's on the compass rose. It's kind of the charismatic side of things, of saying, well, what is God doing here? In, in actual lives. In actual lives. How can we pay attention to that? And the, the capital S sacraments of the church help us to do that. They train us. They give us eyes to see how creation communicates the glory of God. All right? Matt? Are we done? Yeah. It's my hunch that we're done. No. Can I, can I make an exhortation? Yes. I, I think one of the things that, um, there's some of you who are in this room because we're Anglican, but many of you are in this room because um, you lost a bet or... No. No, you're in this room because uh, there, was, there was another poll. And so some of, some of you are here and you're like, yes, sacraments. Some of you are here like, 
Put the bread in my hand. Yeah. That, that's what we learn in sacramental ontology, right? Uh, we don't learn sacramental ontology by like taking the bread, taking it home, putting it under a microscope. Like that. That's not how we learn sacramental ontology. Yeah. So if if you're uneasy about sacraments, that isn't your tradition. It's okay. Yeah. I just encourage you to learn learn it through participation and surrender. Yes. Lex orandi, lex credendi. Back to that, right? The rule of prayer is the rule of belief. We learn what we believe as we pray together, as we worship together, which we're about to do together. Can I, can I pray for us? And we'll go get ready. Father, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for your presence that is communicated to us through your creation. Lord, what a comfort it is to know that you're not separated from us, that you are closer than our very breath, that you inhabit the space between the molecules that make up the entire universe. The creation is charged with the grandeur of God. Our bodies are swimming in your presence even now. I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and recognize and participate in that grace that you have for us, the presence that you offer to us. Uh, today, even now, as we listen to your word proclaimed, and as we come to the table of your presence, uh, give us eyes to see and participate. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.